Coming up on today's show. We have Arkansas hunters another seven, ten days more to hunt. They're going to kill a hell of a lot of ducks. It's really not about Minnesota, frankly. Are you going to run that crane call? Oh, okay, well, let's try it out. Okay, get a little warmer than usual, and body started to ache a little bit, so went home after goose hunting, and kind of hit me like a ton of bricks after that. Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe you didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I I knew you were going to go there. I'm going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. Today's show is brought to you by Haybale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Tazan Lake Lodge in northwest Saskatchewan. For Trophy Lake Trout Northern Pike, go to tazanlake.com. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Well, I can't believe it's already here. The duck season is upon us across the region. There's been some youth waterfowl uh, days, weekend seasons already taking place. We're going to talk about how the youth days have gone uh, with some of our guests that have been out there taking kids out. And we'll give you a little bit of preview, a, a little preview of what's coming up and what might be in store in your neck of the woods for duck numbers, goose numbers, and give you some tips and uh, helping you have a better opening day out there in the field. Uh, don't forget, you can go check out the new Sporting Journal Radio store. Just go to sportingjournalradio.com. Click on store. Use the code DUCK, D-U-C-K, DUCK, and you'll get 25% off your order. All kinds of waterfall stuff on there, face masks, hoodies, hats, uh, all kinds of stuff. And if you're watching this on our YouTube channel, make sure you like and subscribe us with that button right down there. All right. Uh, our guests today include uh, John Devney, uh, Vice President at Delta Waterfall. John, thanks for joining us once again. You bet. Greg beyond Brett. Also, Corey Loeffler from the DRC Call Company. Corey, welcome back. Hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. feel like I just had you on the show here not too long ago. That's all right. And uh, Tony Crotty from Mid-Migration Outfitters. Tony, how are you feeling? Oh, not too bad. Thanks for having me, bro. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We, and I'm, I'm asking Tony that question for a reason, and we'll get to that here in just a little bit. But uh, show of hands, gentlemen, who's excited for the season coming up here in a little bit? There you go. That works it's well underway. That works really well on the radio, by the way. When you, when you have your guests give you hand signals. Uh, thankfully, we're filming this uh, for the internet to Facebook and YouTube and all that stuff. Uh, John, let's start with you. Uh, you're over in Bismarck. Let's talk North Dakota a little bit just to start uh, because the annual uh, survey, the duck number survey that came out here was a pretty good one this year, John. Yeah, well, and it was the only one we had, right? Uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, Minnesota DNR, Wisconsin DNR, Michigan DNR all had to cancel their surveys. So usually we have this big comprehensive look at what duck populations look like all across the key breeding areas. And this year we have but one survey and and the only sort of quantitative information we've got is what we got from the North Dakota Game and Fish. And, you know, I think it I think it's worthy of note that the Game and Fish had to really bust their tails to get that survey done. And and uh, you know we'd sure like to see what the whole of the prairies, the whole of the breeding range look like. But thankfully, the North Dakota Game and Fish staff, under Mike Szymanski's leadership, pulled the survey off. And you know I think, you know I think the survey is pretty much what we anticipated it to be. Uh, the water conditions were the 13th highest ever surveyed in North Dakota. You guys will remember. Uh, you know, we were pretty wet last summer. We were crazy, crazy, crazy wet last fall. Had a pretty decent winter. So we went into spring with really good water conditions, 13 highest, highest count ever. Just about 4 million breeding ducks, which is sort of the new sort of high water mark for where we are. And if you went back in history, I don't think there would have been a time before the mid-90s where North Dakota attracted 4 million breeding ducks. But as the prairies have changed, North Dakota has been more productive. And as we've lost habitat in Prairie Canada, uh, North Dakota has risen in importance. And, you know, so 
really good water conditions, four million breeding ducks, and most of the most of the species, save pintail, uh, were at or above both the long-term goal, long-term objectives, and uh, increases or stable over last year. What's going on with our bluebills? You know, if if you have a bluebill problem, it ain't in North Dakota. Um, the in North Dakota, our bluebill population is one place. The U.S. prairies are the one place in North America where bluebills are actually increasing in population size. Um, it's good water conditions over the years, and all that CRP has really helped bluebills. But you know, um, I got to imagine, you know. We had a good bluebell count in North Dakota. I just I don't know what's what the broader pintail population would have been. You know, most of the bluebells are coming out of the western boreal forest, and that's the core of the breeding range. And we just don't have much much inkling of what happened up there this spring. And the limit I know in Minnesota they changed the limit what to one uh, scop until October twenty second, and then two per day after that. Is it a similar situation in North Dakota or what they do over there? They just went to one all year. One all, one all year. You guys yeah. don't have the bluebill problem, but we can shoot more over here. <laughs> yes. Uh, and there's, you know, listen, there's about six of us that like shooting bluebills in North Dakota. <laughs> yeah, that's very um, true. <laughs> so my guess is nobody caught hell for that decision, but I mean, it's going to be pretty hard to justify putting out six, seven dozen decoys and yeah. picking them up to shoot one bluebill. Um, I think, you know, it's a shame. And, and, you know, listen, there's a lot of tradition now of Minnesota hunters coming over here to shoot bluebills too and from other places. And we do have great bluebill hunting. Um, but, you know, um, well, Brett, you and I have talked about how my opinion of the Fish and Wildlife Service Scott model, um, how we can shoot one bluebill we can shoot two redheads and two cans when scop are about three times more abundant than either one of those is kind of bonkers to me. But. Oh, it's funny you brought up Minnesotans because I wanted to ask you when you're out there shooting bluebills, how many how many people drive by and call you a blue plater while you're doing it? <laughs> yeah, it's a problem. You know, I get you know I'm the, probably the only guy in North Dakota that owns a duck boat, um, so. <laughs> You know, I get caught up in the duck boat parade conversations and, you know, not only do I have my big water boat, but, you know, I've got a, a double decker uh, for my marsh skiffs as well. So, yeah, I catch a lot of sh I also one of the few duck hunters in North Dakota that still owns a pair of chest waders. Uh, so, <laughs> well, we should uh, we should tell our listeners where you're from, I suppose, at this point. Yeah, I grew up just outside of St. Paul. So I spent a lot of time chasing bluebells in big water boats and spent a lot of time in hip boots and chest waders. You can take the man out of blue plater country, but you can't take the blue plater out of, out That's of the duck right. Hunter. You can take the boy out of Minnesota, but you can't take the boy out of the duck boat. Yeah. Hey, uh, by the way, I have, I don't know if this, this might be breaking news. I don't know if this is breaking news officially or not, but I think it is. Uh, John, you maybe know this stuff already, but I hadn't seen it in the public yet. Maybe I just missed it. But um, I, I talked to uh, some guys today. My, I have my contacts on the inside. And there has been uh, teal season, early teal season for Minnesota has been approved again for next year uh, by the Flyway Council and also by the feds. And in Minnesota, if Minnesota hunters want to see this early teal season in 2021, there's going to be some a public comment, public input period coming in January. Uh, in fact, there's going to be a number of questions they're going to ask hunters in Minnesota this year. Uh, uh, spinning wing decoys, there's that restriction on spinning wing decoys in Minnesota. Uh, hunters will be asked whether or not they want to continue that ban. Uh, there's also, uh, Corey, I know we talked about this recently, hunting geese over, over water. Uh, in the early season, that's going to come up for public comment. Uh, increasing the crane hunting season in Minnesota to go statewide versus just the northwest corner. That'll be up for discussion uh, using motorized uh, uh, boats, I guess, using motors on wildlife management areas and also uh, any interest in a swan season in Minnesota. So hunters are going to have a chance to voice their opinion on all these topics coming up in January, which I think is great. Um, and and I want to break some of that down a little bit with you guys. But the other thing 
that I, and Tony, I know we've talked about this for a number of years and thought maybe this might happen in Minnesota, but it was approved by the Flyway Council uh, to up the bag limit to five geese per day for the entire season. Now, the feds haven't approved that yet, and it's unlikely that they will because they didn't get to do their aerial surveys this year. So, uh, Corey, we, uh, we were talking before we got on about uh, uh, somebody we both know that bans ducks, and I was, I was talking to her trying to get her on the show, and she was too busy banding ducks, and she mentioned that they weren't able to, to do any geese this year, and I was like, well... How's that work? You can get out there and ban ducks, but you can't ban geese. And she said it's it's different methods. And the surveys for Canada geese, John, maybe you can speak about this a little bit. Our aerial surveys, and they were canceled because of COVID. So because they don't have that survey data and may not, who knows what's going to happen with COVID, may not be able to do it next year. So we may not get the actual approval to go to five geese per uh, per day here in Minnesota, but at least they're they're talking about it and it's been approved by the council. So that could be one of those changes we could see here in Minnesota. But if we can, guys, did we lose Corey? We'll see if we can get Corey. I'm on. Okay, we lost your video. But Oh, really? Yeah, we can still hear you at least. This might wow. act, might help our ratings go up. <laughs> can't see can't see it. Um, what, what are your thoughts? I know, John, we talked a little bit about this. Maybe we can just kind of recap... Um, my, my thought process on having an early teal season in Minnesota is that duck hunters could get in and shoot some ducks in September. I know you like to get out there and shoot teal in September. So that would keep uh, guys that want to shoot teal in September happy. And then you could push back the, uh, the regular season opener because here in Minnesota, we don't get to hunt as late as you do there in North Dakota. And we had to have a chance at some, some late season mallards. What do you think of, about that? Or what do you think about an early teal season? And do you think Minnesota hunters would actually go for it? You know, I, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, when we talked about it this summer, Brett, you know, I don't know, as I mentioned, I don't know if it's for John Debney to have a strong opinion what Minnesota hunters sure. should do or should not do. But you know, I think at the very least, I'd like to see it considered that, you know, Minnesota hunters have a similar situation to what North Dakota and South Dakota did in terms of an option, which is to go to two bonus teal during the first part of the first 16 days of their teal season. Um, you know, that may be a nice sort of hedge strategy. But, you know, listen, there I'm getting phone calls from Louisiana, the Illinois River, Iowa, uh, Missouri, Kansas, guys are out there enjoying blue wing teal. And in Minnesota, certainly doesn't produce the teal that it did, you know, 40, 50 years ago. But you guys are shooting a bunch of teal, and it'd be nice for Minnesota hunters to have some shape or form of opportunity to take advantage of that resource that you guys provide. Tony, what do you think about an early teal season? And obviously, you run a guide business. Would that would that change the way you run your guide business, or would would you would just like to see some of that late season mallard hunting too, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, I would like both, honestly, uh, when it comes to the guiding aspect, I don't really know how much that would change um, on my end, but yeah, it'd be nice to chase the field. There's some of the best eaten ducks in my opinion. And most of them are gone, which, you know, kind of leads into what you were saying before about hunting geese on water early. You know, we hunt migrators on water a lot. We see a lot of teal pushing through in uh, early September while hunting geese. And most of them are gone by the time it opens up. So I think it'd be great. What do you think about up in the bag limit to five geese a day for the full season, Tony? Oh, it'd be nice. Um, I mean, it, uh, it's one of them things where, you know, when you can make hay, it'd be nice if, you know, if we, we get on a good hunt, we can shoot five birds. Unfortunately, out here, lack of all things, the way that they've trended lately is a little tougher to shoot geese nowadays. But when we do get into them, it would be nice to have a few more in the bag for the guys you know, out in the stuff late season. I've heard a lot of guide services actually say, man, we don't want that. That's going to make our day a lot longer out there. (laughs) Yeah. Chasing chasing the limit. Yeah. Trying to fill those bags. But man, I remember, gosh, five or six years ago, I think, I think you and I have talked about this or we heard it start to, uh, you know, rumors of maybe going up to uh, a five, five goose per day bag limit i'm i um i think we've kind of been looking forward to it for quite a while obviously uh goose numbers i think are doing just fine particularly the 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 locals and i know we get to shoot five already during the early season as it is but i would like to see that what do you guys think about um some of these other Corey? you still you're still with us Corey? uh yeah i guess my video is not working huh 
I guess not, but I can still see Corey. Oh, you guys can still see him. Well, maybe I still got him. He's just not on my screen anymore, but uh, let's talk cranes for a minute, Corey. What are you seeing for cranes up there right now? And and what do you think about a statewide season? Um, You know, I don't know a ton about that mid-continent population and how strong that is and how strong the graders are. So I'm not exactly an expert on uh, how widespread they are throughout the state. I know being that we uh, up in the Northwest goose zone are the only ones to have the crane season available to us right now. Um, we have uh, a different population that comes through our area and we have a, I think a stronger breeding population up here. And so that's why we are able to harvest the cranes and hunt them. And then the other guys, uh, the rest of the state aren't able to, just because it's two different populations of birds that are right. a little bit, they have a little bit different migration. So I think there's, um, I, I've, I've had some friends from down in the southern part of the state give me some crap because we can shoot them and they say they have them all over the place down there. But I think we're just looking at two different species or, or subspecies of birds there. So well, um, our I, populations are real strong right now. I mean, we when we're turkey hunting, we are surrounded by nesting pairs of cranes all over the place, so it's a lot of fun. I use a, a <laughs> crane call that I make. Um, here's one that I can put together for you real quick. Uh, it's got guts in it, actually, but um, I use this as a shock gobble call. <laughs> That's my crane call, and a lot of guys use an owl hooter or a crow call. I use a sandhill crane call because we have so many of them. It's crazy loud, and that works out pretty good for me. So uh, it's fun hanging out with them all seasons of the year and seeing them because they're just such neat birds and now the migration's picked up a little bit so we're starting to see some feeds of 500 and a thousand birds out in some fields so are we gonna are you gonna run that crane call i was gonna make you run some kind of calls today oh okay well we'll we'll try it out that's so cool I just think go. cranes are, are some of the coolest birds out there, and and I obviously enjoy hunting them. Just just especially when they're on the grill. Yeah, yeah, they're delicious. They're, yeah. They sound cool. They look cool. They're uh, they're definitely one of the best birds to eat out there. I think uh, in the waterfall waterfall world, I guess. Uh, I, I'm excited to come up there and chase them around with you this year, Corey. And I, I know you know Greg Knutson as well. You guys all probably know Greg. Uh, I know I talked to him a couple of years ago about this same subject, and he talked about that eastern population that comes over and gets into the central part of Minnesota. He said that's it's it's plenty, plenty big now. It's a lot smaller than the one that goes down the middle part of the country, but it's uh, I think they're hunting them in three, four states already. So yeah, we should be able to, too. I mean, there's no reason that I, the Minnesota season isn't statewide, in my opinion. I'd love it if uh, everyone else could shoot them. But uh, we'll take it. I guess we can get two this year up here in the north part. So, yeah. hey, you guys got to go for a drive. Come up to the tundra and hang out with me. So okay. that's your loss, I guess. <laughs> well, and I get the, the management dilemma of having to manage two different you know, subspecies like that and different sizes of the populations. But I think it's it's healthy enough for us to be able to hunt them uh, statewide here. Uh, one of the other public input topics that's going to be coming in January for Minnesotans is, uh, you know, spinning wing decoys, the restriction on spinning wing decoys. Do any of you guys um, have a, a stance one way or another on on uh, opening that up because what you can't use it anywhere in the first two weeks right or first week first two weeks and then you can't use it on on state land the whole season right mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty close to that and i know Corey, uh, anyway. you, you hunt a lot of ducks over water i know up there Corey. so you're <laughs> also probably an expert on this <laughs> subject but tony what do you think about uh open up opening up the usage of uh, a spinning wing demotorized decoy uh, it wouldn't really make much difference to me. Um, you know, around us, we don't have much crop out at that time. So for field hunting them, it doesn't really make a difference. So you're hunting on water and you know me, I don't really like you using like them on them. water anyways. So. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, everywhere else around us, they can use them starting opening day. So I don't really see it hurting anything. Well, let's, let's go from there on to uh, using motors on WMAs. I was surprised actually that this is, this is coming up and I know 
every once in a while I get into a, some, some state owned water and maybe not the whole thing is surrounded. So it's like, gosh, can I use a motor on, the, you know, there's always that kind of that gray area where you have to think about, you know, how you can access it and wh- where you can use a motor and all that. What, what do you guys think about just opening up WMAs to, to, to motors? Right. Well, that's kind of what I was surprised. I mean, there's definitely a couple of spots where I'd love to be able to run my boat with a motor across it, but uh, I'm wondering what kind of traffic it'll bring to some of these, some of these um, sloughs out there. Right. Well, and that's the thing too, is, I mean, we have so many spots that you could road right away with a mud motor onto a WMA and it would be great access for the guys with a mud motor. But then again, it kind of takes away them spots that guys that don't have a mud motor don't have that you know then they got them spots that they can get to that they don't have to worry about you know somebody with a thirty thousand dollar beaver tail or pro drive dropping in and running up on them so i'd say leave it but that's just my opinion all right last question on this topic for you guys if minnesota were to open a trumpeter swan season will you guys go get a tag tundra tundra swan tundra swan not trump (laughs) well but you, it's going to be the it, it'd be one tag I think for either Swan in Minnesota, right? I mean, you're not going to be able to go out there and pick out a, a tundra for the one yeah, week. I, I don't know how. I mean, if you look where most of the Swan seasons are, there isn't much overlap between tundras and trumpeters. I mean, we don't. You know, look at North Dakota, South Dakota. Um, let's see, the East Coast where they have Swan seasons, Montana, Utah. There isn't much overlap between the tundra and the and the trumpeter. Um, you know, I think there's, I think the Fish and Wildlife Service certainly understands there's a few ton, trumpeters getting shot, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, they're probably in Minnesota because I was just having this conversation today. I'm, I'm pretty amazed when I drive around, especially, you know, that country north of Fergus or north of Detroit Lakes, you know, up towards Minoman you know, kind of in that transition from the prairie up into the woods, just how many trumpeter pairs are up there. That population's doing exceptionally well. And, but, you know, it's going to be, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, some concern over that trumpeter reintroduction and trumpeters getting caught up in it. So, I mean, it'd be interesting to see how Minnesota sort of sorts that out. I I think the only way you could do it is if trumpeters were allowed uh, to be harvested as part of the deal. And I think right. if, if a trumpeter season uh, is open up in Minnesota, I think that people will burn the capital down personally, but you know, hopefully not. I, I obviously the population can support it in that study that they're doing where they're putting trackers on to learn a little bit more about their migration and, and their, their habits and patterns. I, I think it's going to show evidence biologically that you could support some sort of hunting season here in Minnesota, but think you probably could the other thing is i wonder if you did the season after say october 15th where you're when you may have a higher percentage of tundras migrating through i mean i remember as a kid hunting at leach and winnie and those places in western minnesota that 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 tundra swan migration tended to happen right around deer season was my recollection i don't know if if that's still the way it is and maybe if you ran it a little late you'd minimize bumping into those trumpeters but the trumpeters i don't i I don't i think the majority of trumpeters don't leave so really uh, that i think we're going to find that out with this study that they're doing but uh, i know they did a little bit of capture and collar on them last year and they found i think a couple did go down to arkansas but a lot just stayed right in Minnesota. I think some went to right. Iowa. It was a smaller, limited study. They're, they've expanded it this year, so we're gonna we're gonna find out a little bit more about their migration patterns. But you know, if you look at Monticello and Swan Park right. in the winter, and then the Mississippi River, uh, yeah. I think a lot of I think so. What was interesting, which I didn't know about this, John, when I I interviewed one of the researchers doing this study uh, a, a while back, and when they reintroduced the trumpeter swans to Minnesota, they took swans from Alaska and they took swans from Eastern Montana. And the ones from Alaska naturally migrate. The ones from Montana had no migration imprints, no, no history of migration. So they, they basically mixed these two populations of trumpeter swans, some that had migration in their, 
in their history, I guess you could say, and some that didn't. So I think they're trying to determine, you know, if, if that would actually make a difference in what the trumpeters are doing now here in Minnesota, or if they just don't need to go because they got food and water here. Yep. So interesting. Yeah. It's, when I was talking, when I was talking to one of, uh, an employee of the state of Minnesota, uh, she was telling me that the goal, the target goal of the trumpeter, the, the trumpeter's fawn reintroduction was 500 birds or 500 pairs in the state of Minnesota. Now, the last study, our current population is up over 30,000. 30, yeah. So we've really? got way too many. Yeah. So we have way too many. Well, another thing she said too was when she goes and bans ducks. That's what she does uh, pretty much all summer long. So they would show up at these little sloughs and to ban ducks, uh, maybe at night with uh, spotlights and, and fishing nets. And they drive around and not see ducks, not see ducks, and then they'd see a pair of swans. So any those swans are super territorial, and they'll run ducks off of those little potholes before the ducks can get a chance to establish nesting ground. So even if your pond count is super high, it doesn't really matter because if there's swans there, it's kind of like the pond is irrelevant for making new ducks. So we could have an awesome mm. pond count in Minnesota, but if we have a awesome or high swan population, well, all of that water is, uh, for the most part, it's irrelevant because they're a bunch of bullies and they eat ducks out of house and home and everything else. So um, I know That's there's a, a little bit of an internal conflict with the DNR because according to my understanding, the Minnesota DNR is split up between the game side of things and the non-game side. And trumpeter swans are non-game right now. They're the big bird of love and they're so <laughs> picturesque and so they really want to keep the swans on their side and the non-game because between swans and maybe uh, bald eagles and timber wolves that's about the only thing that gives them any type of money the game they've mm. got duck stamps they've got uh, um, the hunting licenses all sorts of things and the excise taxes that that fund kind of what they're doing well non-game doesn't have hardly any money coming in it's just some donations for you know from wherever i'm not real positive but uh so they want to really keep the bird because that that swan just because it's kind of revenue for them but i think they're selfish and i think <laughs> we should have a hunting season on them so that's how i feel about it tell us how you really feel Corey. <laughs> yeah they eat too much granola that's how i really feel <laughs> Hey, you brought up the duck stamp, and that was something I wanted to talk about on the show because um, I'm not going to get into politics, but we can we can talk about you know government programs that may be not very efficient. But the federal duck stamp program to me is one of the the best programs we have here in the United States. And uh, I wanted to plug what Sam Solhold is doing. Uh, Corey, I don't know if you want to talk about it a little bit. It's, it's uh, uh, what's he called? The Stamp It Forward? Yeah, the Stamp It Forward program uh, brought to you by Public Land Tees, Sam and Josh Solhold. So last year, they, they initiated the program. They bought a hundred stamps, right? Uh, uh, yeah, hundred stamps. Yeah, twenty five hundred bucks or so. Initially. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they bought a hundred stamps initially, um, and then other companies. I know Boss Shot Shells. Uh, you know, a, a bunch of other companies um, started sending them pretty large amounts of cash and to go purchase more stamps. And how many stamps did they purchase last year? Over a thousand. That's total. I can't remember what the final number was, but I think it was. So it went over this really year well. They uh, yeah, Sam just kicked off the Stamp It Forward program here the other day, and he went into the uh, local post office. He made an order and had them ship that post office 200 duck stamps or 200 extras, and he went in there with five grand in cash and bought two th 200 duck stamps. So they're kicking it off big time right now. So any order that you place on publiclandtees.com, you will receive a free duck stamp in the mail with your order until they're gone. So jump on there. You're helping out just a, an awesome cause. Um, man, they're hopefully going to hit that $100,000 mark in uh, duck stamps this year. So that'd be awesome if they could. What a and then all duck hunters have to go out and buy another one because yeah. it's the best investment duck hunters can make. Oh, what about the what about the birders, John? What about the bird watchers? <laughs> yeah, huh? yeah. 
Well, Sam probably <laughs> Sam has probably bought more duck stamps in the last two years than the non-consumptive user community has in two generations. Ever, yeah. Ever. What a brilliant yeah, idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, we need and listen with declining hunter numbers. We've got a problem we're facing. Um, you know, we start. You know, we we finally made the step and increased the price of the duck stamp to 25. That was long overdue. But there's fewer and fewer of us buying 25 or $50 worth of duck stamps every year. And so, you know, the, the, the fact that Sam understood the value of this to duck hunting and duck conservation is a real testament to him. And we, we need to find some new ways because, you know, old dying duck hunters and the promise of bird watchers buying these duck stamps, we're going to end up with a lot less sales. Cause I just, I just don't have any confidence that the non-consumptive user community is going to slap leather and buy duck stamps. I've been listening to this stuff for 22 years of my career and I've heard it and heard it and heard it. And it's the thinnest soup a guy can possibly taste. There just, there's no there there. And so it's going to be incumbent upon us as duck hunters to carry the ball just as it always has been. Yeah, I, I wish I would have come up with that idea because I just think that was uh, just such a great idea. I always tell people to buy a couple extra stamps, you know, collect one if you want to, whatever. They're just, uh, they go to the right places. Uh, Tony, I want to talk to you because you've been pretty busy over there and I, I need to maybe hire you because I need... <laughs> I'm picking up a puppy this weekend from Corey and I haven't really puppy proofed my house or anything. Uh, I want to, you know, get, build a kennel. I want to do some different things, just get this house ready to go. Uh, I've been a little bit busy, but I didn't have COVID and I, I didn't build a kennel while I had COVID like you did, man. So I, I want to talk about that real quick because uh, I'm sure, you know, s s the three of the three of us probably haven't had COVID. So everybody kind of wonders what it's like to go through that. Um, how did you like you just woke up? Did you wake up sick one day or how did it go for you? Uh, yeah, more or less. I <clears throat> woke up and uh, went out goose hunting and <laughs> uh, noticed that I started to get a little warmer than usual and body started to ache a little bit. So went home after goose hunting and kind of hit me like a ton of bricks after that, you know, I wouldn't compare it to anything worse than a normal flu. That's just my opinion. You know, I'm pretty healthy, 34 year old male. So, it, you know, they say it affects everybody differently, but it, right. it made me, uh, you know, I had a temp, um, fever, chills, body aches, stuff like that for about a day and a half. And that was that, you know, a little bit of sore throat and kicked it and went and got tested. Unfortunately, because my wife, works uh, you know out in the public and works with kids so she she had to get tested i had to get tested and somehow she was negative and i was positive so that's kind of the quick rundown to it i don't know how that works uh did uh, the more important yeah, question here then is did you shoot any geese that day <laughs> <laughs> we yeah oh yeah yeah shot shot a few and then i got out of there and uh the rest of the, the rest of the crowd out there they ended up killing 14 out that day oh they did Nice. Got a few. And none of them have tested positive, though, right? I mean, none of them. Not got, a single one. No, yeah, they all one of them. None of them got sick. Yeah. Well, which is good. So I was it's with great. them that morning, and yeah, so it's kind of a weird thing, you know. They say that's when you know the two days beforehand you're the most uh, infectious, and along well, well, you have the fever, at least to what I've been told um, by doctors, and none of them have tested positive, and you know, so I don't, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know where I got it or what, and. Um, you know, I thought it was just the flu and I, I kind of was having my doubts if it was actually COVID or not until I lost my sense of smell, which is a pretty, uh, pretty typical thing, you know, that people say, so still can't smell anything to this day. So, well, I know, uh, I know a guy whose kid got it and he's actually, I think he was like a senior in high school or maybe just into college and he got, he got real sick, got it like a month or two ago, he still hasn't recovered his sense of smell from what I, from what I understand. So it might be, might be a little while before we get that back, but. Uh, Tony, you can't see by my Labrador. 
I don't want Tony anywhere near my laboratory. <laughs> I can afford to have a yeah. tag dog losing his sense of smell. <laughs> right. I was gonna say I was gonna say, Brett, that might be a new candidate for a friend of yours if they can't smell. <laughs> so this COVID thing might be pretty good for you. Well, we got the message. Tony sent us a message because we were all kind of hanging out and goose hunting last week. He goes, Hey guys, you know, so I, I got sick, you know, I went in and got tested. And I didn't have any symptoms. So I called the hospital. I was like, yeah, I was around a guy. Should I go get tested? And like, no, you need to, you need to just quarantine. And I said, well, I, I would like, I would like to know, you know, so that I don't, in case I am around somebody all of a sudden, uh, you know, I have people that come over to my house for different reasons. I want to, I don't want to pass it to them. Well, sir, you could test negative today, but all of a sudden test positive tomorrow, which I'd, I don't. I don't know enough about it, and I don't know if anybody knows enough about it to explain that to me. But um, so, so, so Tony's sick, and I'm I'm picturing him, you know, laid up in bed, you know, shivering, coughing, sneezing, whatever. And he sends us starts sending us snaps. He's outside building a kennel, <laughs> working off the COVID. Tell us about that. You just wanted uh, to. I, was saying, get, I don't know. I don't even know. If- I don't know if we should even be talking about this, you know, because what they say is you're supposed to be isolated in a room by yourself. So uh, the authorities, you know, <laughs> so they say. But I wasn't about to listen to that. I live out in the middle of nowhere, kind of. I, I don't got any close neighbors, so yeah. I isolated outside. And, and uh, well, I got little Miss Tilly back from Corey, or at least you did while I was actually sick. And then uh, I needed an outdoor kennel built, so... Just spent my time outside, and I'm one of them types of people where even if I feel like junk, I think the best way to work through it is to be active, and I don't like sitting in the house. So I went out and built a indoor-outdoor kennel for the, for the new pup, <laughs> and now uh, her and the other two dogs are, have been out there all day, so it's worked out great. The COVID kennel. Uh, <laughs> yep, COVID kennel. Speaking of uh, puppies, Corey, we, don't, have we, ha- we haven't had a puppy sighting on the show yet. Oh, we need I bet some, I can arrange that. We need the ratings. Every time he shows the puppy, the ratings spike. So, and you've got my puppy up there yet that we're going to pick up. So see what we, I can do. We need a puppy sighting before we go here. Um, do you want to uh, tell us about those puppies a, a little bit, Corey? You got, is there still one? Ma- you got, is, is there, is there any left? Did he leave? They my- are, the puppies are leaving like crazy right now. It's uh, go home week. So, they are taking off. Oh, man, we're down to, oh, must be down to seven in the pen. And I think, yeah, I think today is, I don't know. Today is what, <laughs> Wednesday? I'm, I'm sorry to ask you all these Tuesday? questions, Corey. We're only doing a radio interview about hunting <laughs> dogs yeah, and stuff. Tuesday. Oh, gosh. I think four more are going home Friday and then another one on Saturday. So oh, we'll be down to zero here pretty quick. But, um Ah, they're they're doing so good. We the kids got out for Minnesota youth season last weekend. We shot a bunch of ducks, and then I trimmed some wings off of some of those ducks and got the pups all revved up. And they hate a duck. I will tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) I was I grabbed a goose and I was running a goose around the yard, and I had the whole pack chasing me down. And uh, some were trying to grab mouthfuls of feathers out of that thing and chow them down and. And we put the goose away, and then I started messing around with some duck wings and ducks, and it was just the funniest game of keep away you've ever seen. So, oh, uh, there was nine of them at that time, so all nine little puppies just running in all directions, trying to get a piece of that duck wing uh, for themselves. But, yeah, they are some foul-hating fools, that's for sure. Well, it looked like you had a couple of pretty good days with the kids out there, Corey. Yeah, we saw a lot of ducks. Um, last year, last fall being so wet some of the harvest was delayed and we got into a cornfield that wasn't harvested until march or april or may or sometime Mm. so there was plenty of food on the ground there was probably uh, maybe five thousand ducks using this this field and this little tiny more or less drainage ditch slash river and uh, we got the kids in there on the riverbank and hit them in some hedgerow bush row and oh they just went to guns ablazing just chopping holes in the sky and <laughs> trying to pick out drakes that was near impossible so believe it or not the the, the five boys that i had out on day one on saturday 
they had a much better Drake to Hen ratio than <laughs> the kids on sa- on Sunday. But the, the kids on Saturday, they were just running three shells through that gun. Like, I mean, I'm, their dads were paying for all the shells. You, that was obvious because they didn't want to go home with any of them. And uh, so there's ducks falling all over. And, oh, Drake, Drake, Drake. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. Big a couple hens coming. here and there. And I was pretty surprised. And then I had nine kids the second day and just me. So I got nine bloodthirsty gun toting <laughs> kids ready to go uh ready to to hit the ditch again and so i said all right we got almost twice as many kids here's the deal everyone's putting one shell in the gun there's one boy little max he had never shot a duck before so i said max gets to shoot first he's gonna try to shoot his first duck and he's got his 20 gauge all ready to go and uh, the other kids just had one shell in their gun and i said pick out a drake shoot that duck Lead it good, shoot it, put your gun down, it's unloaded now, it's open, walk out, retrieve your duck, and then bring it back. We're going to do this a little more in a little more orderly fashion than yesterday was quite a bit of chaos. So they did that, and it was just hen after hen after hen after hen. (laughs) But you couldn't, I I honestly couldn't pick out drakes at all. We saw a couple that were adult male uh, mallards and they just had a little bit of speck of green on the head um there was just a little bit of copper color on the breast and, and some of those hens looked almost identical to that so yeah there's it was pretty tough we had to quit fairly early on sunday just because we were pretty close to that hen limit so uh we went home a few ducks shy of a limit but uh that's that's that so um, it was fun. The kids had a blast. I don't think they'll forget about that one for a long time. So that's Did, what it's all about. Didn't one of the kids keep falling in that ditch? <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty steep ditch. <laughs> yeah, one, one kid, he was injured. So he had his arm in a sling and there was ducks coming. They went out to go retrieve some. There was ducks coming. And so he had to run back. He runs back and he ran right past his gun, fell right down the ditch, down into the water at the bottom. The other kid that I was sitting by, he his, he went to go dive into the, the bush there to hide again. And he knocked his backpack down. So his backpack full of clothes rolls all the way down the ditch into the water. <laughs> he slid down there, got it. It was, it was quite the treacherous hunt there for uh, some of the kids and clothing as well. But we got him. Was that ditch by any chance the one that you and I saw when I was up there? that was full of ducks that was the spot yep oh my that gosh the there was a lot <laughs> of ducks good. there and, and he had just literally all dumping into this little drainage ditch or they were in the field so that field was a cornfield last year what we saw that black one and it didn't get planted this year in anything it was summer fall field but it was kind of like the old yellow brick road out there it was it had been tilled over once or twice but there was cobs of corn all over the place so oh, i'm sure them ducks are back in there right now and yeah, we'll wait a week and a half here and probably get after him again. Well, I'll tell you what, man. I mean, like when 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 I was up there, so that was what kind of earliest September to see that many ducks in a big group yeah. like that and to be able to hunt them in a field on youth opener. We don't get that opportunity down here. We don't get a chance to hunt ducks in a field. It seems like, Tony, you can attest to this until, you know, November. Usually it's like Thanksgiving, I feel like, is when we really get a good a good crack at those field mallards like that. And that's, to me, that is some of the most exciting hunting you can have. You Those kids are not going to forget that hunt anytime soon because those those are the kind of hunts you remember forever. So I, I would like to see us uh, one way or another. I don't know what the right answer is yet. John, tell me who I got to talk to to get us more days in the Mississippi Flyway over here, would you? Give me 70 yeah. days. 70 days? I think I think your best bet is back your opener up. If that's what Minnesota hunters want to do, yeah. zone and split. Because yeah. the, the notion that Mississippi Flyway will have more than 60 days is probably a pretty tall ask at this point. Well, let me ask you this question because somebody, I saw somebody, there was a thread somewhere on the internet about this, about uh, so much crossover between the Central and Mississippi Flyways that, you know, how, how much of a difference really is there between the two? And they're like, we should just combine the two flyways into into one flyway. Uh, like, like how... Is, is that an out, outrageous notion or is there would, is there some, you know, uh, some truth to that to some extent? I mean, if we're talking about the origin of the birds, I mean, 
you know, let's let's go down the pipe a little bit, right? And you know, let's look at Arkansas and Kansas. Are Arkansas and Kansas deriving their ducks from significantly different places? The answer to that's no. Um, you know, now Minnesota and North Dakota are different. You guys, although I think you guys are beneficiary of way more ducks from the Dakotas than than a lot of Minnesota hunters would think. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, I mean, there's kind of an east-west gradient, but it it's certainly not as binary as it is at the Red River, right? But from from where the ducks come from. Now, the difference, though, is the kill is way different. I mean, the Mississippi Flyway just kills way, 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 way more ducks than the, than the Central Flyway does. And so, you know, if the, if the Mississippi Flyway adopted a 74-day season like the Central Flyway does, I mean, now you're probably getting to a point where you're going to get things pretty out of balance. Do you think, well, because that would be 14 days extended, so it would be into early December. Do you think there'd be that many people still chasing after ducks? And I mean, the northern northern zone's pretty much going to be done at that point. Right. Um, so how many more, I guess, for, at least for Minnesota, maybe as you get further down south, it could. Well, that's the thing. Right? Minnesota isn't driving the yeah, harvest, right? right? In Louisiana, give Louisiana hunters two more weeks to hunt. Yeah, and they're going to kill a hell of a lot more ducks. You give Arkansas hunters another seven, ten days more to hunt. They're going to kill a hell of a lot of ducks. And so it's really not about Minnesota, frankly. Right. It's probably it hasn't been about Minnesota for a long time. Yeah. Well, I've I've seen a lot of a uh, lot of memes going around Facebook calling us East Dakota, East South Dakota. Maybe we can make that make that happen and slide into the the Central Flyway by default. Uh, I saw something interesting too the other day. John, a couple of teal were killed in Wisconsin as part of their early teal season that were banded in North Dakota. So, Yeah, I mean, if you look at the, I mean, if you were to look at the blue wing teal harvest in a place like Maryland or Virginia, a lot of those teal are coming from the eastern Dakotas. Hmm. Um, You know, the eastern Dakotas have turned really into ground zero for teal. And, you know, it's a function of our pretty healthy wetland resources, CRP, you know, we've been wet for a long time. But, yeah, I mean, the eastern Dakotas are sort of the epicenter for exporting blue wings all over, uh, you know, south, west, and and east. And and it's pretty impressive when you see how many blue wings the eastern Dakotas contribute to places like North Carolina. It's, I just think it, I, I've heard about that with the uh, tundra swans too that fly over to the east coast yep. that come through. It's just a weird, just weird. I can't wrap my head around that migration necessarily yet. But I also, uh, Tony, you and I were on a hunt a couple of years ago where we shot as a group, shot a banded redhead that was banded in Oregon a couple of years earlier, and we shot it here in Minnesota. And the bander when I when I because I drew the band when the when I submitted it, the bander emailed me like three times asking for pictures of it. Are you sure? You sure you got it right? I'm like, I sent you pictures. I videoed the whole thing. She's like, well, that's not a normal migration. And I said, well, it's a duck. You know, <laughs> you know. Um, Corey, do I hear? I can't see you right now, but maybe everybody else can. But do I hear a puppy over there right now? We got, we got a puppy, oh, uh, Mr. Red Collar Male here. Uh, Lucas Carlos's puppy. He's listening in for sure. And my... Oh, there goes my ear, earbud. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I've got uh, I got a little guy here. So Red is mom, and Red is one of Boone's pups, and then Snapper is the dad to these guys. So uh, this would be a brother of Tiny, who Brett's getting to take home. I've got some I've got some of that stamp it forward data for you. Mister oh. Sam Solholt just sent me a text. So. Uh, publiclandtees.com is the place to uh, either donate right now. So all donations sent in right now, uh, donation period is open. And for every 25 bucks they get, they're going to buy another duck stamp. The donation has been open for 24 hours now. They've received $1,500 so far. Uh, This year they kicked it off by buying 200 duck stamps, $5,000 worth. And they just picked those up a couple days ago. 
Um, last year, they kicked it off by buying 100 duck stamps, and they ended up raising enough money to buy a uh, thousand duck stamps total, raising oh, just over twenty-five thousand dollars, and uh, in those uh, in the duck stamp for duck stamp funds. And um, so, yeah, this year goals are set high, definitely above twenty-five thousand. And you can donate money if you'd like over at publiclandtees.com. And then every purchase from publiclandtees.com after the twenty-eighth of September. So just a few more days here, a couple more weeks, uh, you will receive one of those duck stamps to free with your purchase. That's my birthday. It's a good day right there. I like it. Well, uh, Sam is probably watching this too. Nice work, Sam. Uh, keep it up. Uh, go buy some uh, some duck stamps. Uh, support Public Land Tees and Sam. Support your conservation organizations like Delta Waterfall. Uh, gentlemen, of course, book a hunt with Mid-Migration Outfitters. Get to hunt with Tony, maybe myself, even that day. Buy a call from DRC Calls or even a puppy. And uh, John Devney, Tony Crotty, Corey Loeffler, good luck this season. Can't believe waterfall season is here. Good luck and thanks for being on the show. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. Looking for fall adventure? Might as well pick a place with over 1,000 lakes. Ottertail County, Minnesota is in the middle of everywhere, offers a simpler pace, and has something for everyone. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. Devil's Lake is legendary, and this summer has been legendary for walleyes. Don't miss out. Call Haybale Heights Campground and Resort today to book one of their modern cabins on East Bay. The cabins are furnished with a full bathroom, kitchen, and all the amenities like high-speed internet and are clean following CDC guidelines. Staying at Haybale Heights gives you full access to a private boat launch, fish cleaning station, and beach area. Learn more at haybaleheights.com. That's haybaleheights.com. Plan your trip to legendary Devil's Lake today. As we all navigate through the tough times of 2020, finding new ways to enjoy summer has become a way of life. If you're searching for the perfect getaway this summer, look no further than the walleye capital of the world, Lake of the Woods. Fish the Rainy River, Big Traverse Bay, and don't forget you can still experience the uniqueness of the Northwest Angle. For your best chance to catch big fish, go where the big fish are, Lake of the Woods. Plan your trip at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. If trophy lake trout and monster northern pike are on your list this summer, book a trip to Tazan Lake Lodge in northwestern Saskatchewan. Everything from numbers to big fish. See pictures, videos, and more at tazanlake.com. This is quite the fishery. Our five-star chef will feed you well after a day of chasing giants on Tazan Lake. Dream come true. Get rates, dates, and more of what you can expect. It can be the best fish you ever had in your life. At tazanlake.com. That's tazanlake.com. Tazan Lake Lodge is a proud partner of Tourism Saskatchewan.